I love Iron Maiden. Who the hell doesn't, right? They are one of the biggest bands in the world, regardless of genre. They are one of the biggest bands in the world, regardless of border. Iron Maiden is a worldwide sensation. They are so big that I admittedly take them for granted, sometimes fawning over some brand new band with one album out, casually overlooking this megalith phenomenon crushing all behind me. One of the hardest things for any band to do, especially these days when nothing's new under the sun, is to carve out a signature sound, a sound so recognizable, after less than a minute of hearing it, you know who it is. Iron Maiden is recognizable in 10 seconds flat, and if it's not them, it's a band ripping them off. You don't even need to hear the vocals. It's the music that is so distinguishable. Of course, once the vocals do kick in, you'd be hearing one of the three vocalists that have been in the band since their recorded history. Most likely, it would be Bruce Dickinson, who's been in the band since their third album, Number of the Beast, released in 1982, and which started their worldwide ascent. In all our years of touring, I've had the good fortune to meet all three Maiden singers, each in different settings, Paul Diano, Bruce Dickinson, and even Blaze Bailey. I'm glad to report that all three encounters were very pleasant, they were all cool to me, but meeting Bruce Dickinson was one of a kind. I met Dickinson in London, England back in 2003. At the time, we were in the middle of the UK leg of our European tour in support of our We Sweat Blood album. An opportunity to guest on Bruce Dickinson's BBC radio show opened up, and it would be an interview conducted by Bruce himself. Needless to say, with not even a day to spare in the middle of the tour, JC and I hopped on a plane and crowbarred this interview into our schedule. We did it and flew back in time to play that night in Leeds at the Cockpit Club. There was definitely no way we were going to pass on an opportunity to meet Bruce Dickinson and then to get interviewed by him. That was pretty surreal. At the time, I had just started doing my own radio show called The Magical World of Rock on Rocket FM in Stockholm, Sweden. Maybe I was about a month or two into it. I asked Bruce's BBC radio people if there would be time for me to interview him for my show. They amazingly agreed. But not only that, they let me use BBC equipment. And after the official interview, Bruce and I switched chairs. I sat in his seat, and he sat in mine. And we talked about singing. At the time, I called these talks Singers Clinics, and it was basically me asking other guys and bands how they dealt with being on the road as a singer. I was just trying to get some good tips. For me, my life on the road at the time, this thing I had been wanting so badly to happen for so long, was actually starting to ramp up, but at a rate faster than I thought my throat could handle. That We Sweat Blood tour schedule was brutal for my voice, or so I thought. It was talks like this one, the one you're about to hear with people like Bruce Dickinson, and also an earlier episode with Ian Mackay, episode number 32, that really taught me stuff, made me relax, but most importantly, confirmed the fact that I wasn't alone. Other singers and bands had gone through the same experience. There are a few reasons why I've decided to upload an old interview from 11 years ago and turn it into a podcast episode. Number one. It's Bruce Dickinson. It's Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden. And whether or not you sing or are even in a band, it might be interesting to hear a different side of him rather than the usual new band slash new tour repetitive anecdotes that everyone's heard before by everyone in a band. 
Number two, the last podcast with Brian Slagle, as I mentioned in the intro to that episode, sent me down an Iron Maiden rabbit hole. So, so this is the fallout from that rabbit hole. You can thank Brian Slagle for this episode too. And number three, we are currently in the studio working on our new album. So what better way to tie things over and buy myself some time than an episode with a member from Iron Maiden? Sounds pretty fair to me. Thanks to Blue Mic Microphones. Thanks to Skull Candy Headphones. Thanks to the BBC for, for being so cool to us 11 years ago. And, of course, thank you to Bruce Dickinson for, for being such a good sport. And whether he realized it or not, really calm the nerves of a total amateur trying to do what he mastered. Enjoy. Bruce Dickinson is this episode's guest on the official Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. The Danko Jones podcast is the best around. Nick Flanagan is Danko's co-op. Tell him for free. I'm so glad I like to sometimes. Tell me in from fucked up. Stop playing. Hang down. They told him he was too crazy to rock and roll. But now... He's going to talk their ears off. It's the official Danko Jones podcast. Danko's got a podcast, and he won't shut up. I got to know Danko a few years ago when I used my vacation time to follow the band on the road. And I even spent a day with Danko in some European town that escapes me. But we ended up talking about 17th century art, his pet rock collection, <laughs> the summers he spent as a teenage air traffic controller, his venomous snake collection, his passion for planking, and the night he spent with Ringo Starr's housekeeper. He's a fascinating character with a wealth of stories to share. And I'm a huge fan of Danko, but a bigger fan of his stories. It's the one and only, your boy, Danko Jones. One, two, you can hear him. I can't hear me. There you go, one, two. Ah, that's better. There we go. Excellent. Yeehaw. All right, here we are, the magical world of rock with Danko Jones. And today for the Singers Clinic, I have Bruce Dickinson. And we're actually um, recording this at the BBC Studios in London today. Oh, God, they'll send us a bill now. Careful. <laughs> they'll find out. Okay. You know what they're like, you know. Should I do it over again? I... No, <laughs> just joking. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. You can take me for a loop. <laughs> No, go on. The Singer's Clinic. That sounds very worrying. Yeah. No, well, basically what it is is uh, I'm interested for my own self. And I'm sure, because I am, I'm sure there's a bunch of other people out there who are just interested to know uh, what singers do uh, to prepare and to keep their voice intact, especially in the hard rock genre where you really have to push your voice more than any other kind of style of music. So I've, I've done clinics with uh, Derek Green from Sepultura, uh, Hank Von Helvete from Turbo Negro, Dave Windorf from Monster Magnet, and um, now I'm, I'm doing one with you right now. Ah, right, okay. Um, well, I guess um, I guess it all goes... Because <clears throat> you, just, you just played a show last night. Yeah, yeah, I, I did last night and, and the night before. I mean, I am... Singing is, a, is such a curious thing. I mean, it's a, a, a strange mixture of the psychological and, and, and the physical and, and everything else. I mean, because your mental state uh, will affect your voice. And, you know, if you're tired, physically tired, not enough sleep, blah, 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 it will affect your voice, you know. Um, voice is a very delicate 
very delicate. I mean, the, the vocal cords themselves are uh, are really pathetic. I mean, they're these two tiny little strips of, of mucus that flap around, and you think, oh god, it's that's you know that's my livelihood depends on those. Eek, you know. Um, having said that, of course, they're pretty robust, uh, and uh, you know, as you can hear, because I'm still talking away, but the the interesting thing is how you how you preserve them um, and the way to preserve them is to use all the other bits that you have in your body to make as much noise as possible and not try and stress the cords themselves the way i way i like to think about it is that uh, if you if you go and see a, um, one of those old pipe organs in a church uh, the uh, the bit that actually makes the note in the in the pipe is this tiny pathetic little reed you know it's not very big at all mm -hmm. uh, but by the time you blast a load of air up through the bottom of this huge pipe that's tuned right to to like a loudspeaker basically it makes a terrific racket you know but the actual thing that's generating the note in the first place is only very small and quite delicate same with a, a clarinet or or any reed sort of instrument so what you have in the human body is a big pipe organ and just like you have different size pipes uh, in a pipe organ for the, the high notes and the low notes and the one that goes boom and you know you actually have those pipes in your body as well literally you have resonant spaces in your body that you can direct the the the, the energy from your bellows which is what pumps the air in a pipe organ your bellows in the case of human body is your diaphragm mm -hmm. and that basically supports the sound and if you support the sound in the right way you can avoid stressing the old vocal cords and lo and behold you can you can hurtle on and and and, and sing away properly now given that there's an awful lot of other things to consider uh, as well, but this is a this is a, a physical phenomenon. It's actually something you feel in your body, um, and uh, if you just get the, for example, uh, I still use um, old-fashioned uh, loudspeakers and monitors uh, on stage. I don't use in-ear monitors, right? Um, and I tried them. I actually don't like them. They're too hi-fi. And they're too processed sounding. I have a big pair of uh, basically pretty much rubber plugs that go in both ears. And it's like I have my fingers in my ears when I'm singing the yeah. whole time. I hear a huge amount of sound in my head. Obviously, I don't get the real top notes, you know, sibilance and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I get a bit of that coming back from the monitors. And I actually get a, a feel from the monitors. I can actually, when I'm singing you know, loud, I can actually feel it. I can feel it through my feet, funnily enough, you know. You know, and that they'll joke about, you know, oh, there's the guy with his foot on the monitor. Well, when my foot's on the monitor and I'm singing, so I can actually feel the vibrations of the notes coming through my feet, and you can sense that it's, you know, it's right. And what happens is you don't then over-sing. Right. Because you relax. You think, you know, this is loud enough. I don't need to go to tense up my voice and yell and scream mm -hmm. um, because when you tense up your voice this is the thing is when you when you any tension in the wrong place and you will strangle your voice literally and less volume will come out 
less power will come out. The other interesting thing is pro projection. For, because where if I went and did, say, a bunch of acoustic shows, let's imagine I'm just working with an acoustic guitarist in a room, uh, then after about, say, a couple of weeks of that, which I, I did, I used to do those on uh, uh, promo tours, after two or three weeks of that, let's imagine I then went back to singing in a band, um, I, I'd, get in, I'd be in all kinds of trouble because what I'd term my where I'm projecting my voice, where I'm imagining that my vo I'm, I'm trying to hit my voice off the back wall 20 feet away, right? Uh, but in a gig situation, I'm trying to project my voice into a microphone two inches away. Right. Very, you know, and you, you have to have a, a head change. And so a lot of singing is, is, is just experience of different environments and and not panicking when you go up there and and it's not how you think it should be there's a temptation uh to get angry or get pissed off or say you know blame somebody or whatever and you actually have to step back and you have to analyze it you have to do it whilst still running around and sweating blood and doing the show and everything else but you have to have this little little guy in the back of your head saying okay what's going on where can i sing that sounds good where can I stand on the stage that sounds good? Where can I run? Is everybody else too loud tonight? Eeks. Okay, well, I can't get them to turn down. Not now, you know. Right, yeah. Um, and that's an issue as well, you know, the diplomacy. You know, the singer's the most vulnerable guy in the band. Yeah. But he's also the guy that can't hide behind an instrument. You know, a drummer can kick his drum kit over. A guitarist can look at his guitar and say, stupid thing, it played the wrong note. But a singer is standing there, and if, if the singer sings a bum note... People don't say. People just look at the guitarist and they say, "Ah, look, he the, uh, the the guitarist played a bum note on his guitar, as if you know the guitar and him is, is the guitar is something between him and the audience." Singer has nothing like that. They don't say, "Ah, look, the, the microphone played a bum note." It's like, hey, "Look at that piece of shit up there." You know, he can't sing for toffee. What a goofball! You know, um, and so. You really, you know, you, you, you put your ego out there on the line when you're a singer. And, uh, and, and people, uh, people are very unforgiving if, <laughs> if, it doesn't, if it doesn't work out right. You know, that's what I've discovered anyway, is that people, uh, some uh, audiences can be, uh, they can be great. But if they turn, they can be real bastards, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. You, you were talking about... Um, <clears throat> your mental state and how the mental state is almost as equally important as your physical state. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I mean, you guys play in front of tens of thousands of people and because just those little reeds in your throat are dependent, a lot of people are dependent on you. There's a, there's an automatic natural, uh, pressure. How, what is it that you do, um, before a show to prepare, to warm up mentally and physically? Um, it depends at what point in the tour I'm in. Um, when when I start at, at the beginning of a tour, I always get um, a big performance. Uh, yes, yeah, a performance anxiety. I suppose it is. Right. It's like, oh my god! I hope when I open my mouth, it sounds okay. And okay, you've done it in rehearsals and everything else, so you've gotten comfortable in rehearsals. 
and then you go out there and you think, oh, Jesus, you know, uh, I hope I don't go blank. You know, I hope all the words still work and things like that, you know. And you, you can get yourself into a terrible state. Once I've gotten through um, uh, four or five shows, I start to calm down. You know, I start, you know, I said, okay. And then, and then I, I, after, you know, two or three weeks, the way I deal with it is I, I like, you know, I, I don't like to run around like a headless chicken before the show, uh, being all apparently hyped up, you know. I like to sit down. I, I don't like meeting people before shows, I have to say, and we have to do it sometimes. Right. Um, but I don't like doing that, you know. I like to pretend that there's nobody out there at all. So I like to go and sit down on my own quietly somewhere and pretend there's there's nobody out there. I'm just going to go and sing in a few minutes, you know. I forget that there's a, a 10,000 person audience of course at the back of your mind you know there is one yeah but you can pretend there isn't one a bit like an ostrich you know <laughs> there isn't a big critter going to eat me i'm just <laughs> going to stick my head in the sand here for a while and, th- and that's kind of what i do before a show i think i do the equivalent of sticking my head in the sand um and i just concentrate on loosening up loosening up the old body um so I get I get the blood I get the blood going to all the bits, or you know feet, ankles. Just get the blood circulating. You know I I tend to do I tend to do some bit of running on the spot, do some jumping jacks, do some you know some push ups. You know just get the blood going round. And then once I've done that, I start you know once the heart's pumping a bit, which is what it's going to be like when I go out there on stage. Mm-hmm. Then I might start looking at, at, at warming up the voice. Um, once I've got the blood going around everywhere, I think, well, you know. Um, and I start making horrible beast noises, you know, just real animal type things, you know. It sounds horrible. You know, people think, God, what's he doing? It sounds like he's strangling himself, you know. And all I'm doing is just really not trying to form words or make the voice do anything, but just work through from the, the bottom end of the, the the resonant space in your chest up to the top end, make make your teeth vibrate, you know, till it, it really is irritating, you know, till the whole of the front of your head is buzzing from from this sort of, from making nasal noises. And the one thing that you never do though is is uh, do anything with your with your throat voice, any constriction, you know, that's easy to do once you're out there on stage. You know, to make those those like argh, tight no- noises. Mm-hmm. You know, no, they come when your voice is relaxed. When your voice is relaxed and open, then you can constrict it a little bit. But you don't start off with that sort of stuff. Um, and then after a while, I'll start to actually sing and start to actually make make. So, and, and I have uh, probably about I have three or four lines from songs that I use as a um, sort of uh, litmus test, if you like. To sort of go, okay, are we are we are we ready to go yet? Can I go? Bum, bum, bum. And there's a line actually of Chemical Wedding, you know, and the, um, I think it's a song called Trumpets of Jericho, uh, you know, which is really kind of high, you know, and I just launch straight and I hold this note at the end, and and if it's clean and it's you know 
nice and effortless, I think, okay, that's great. No more warm-up required. Mm -hmm. Any more warm-up is wasted effort, you know. Um, When I'm not on tour, um, I don't sing. Oh. Right? So I don't get up in the morning and do vocal exercises. I figure a voice is like a car. You have so many miles in it. You have so many, you know, oil changes in the engine. So I don't see why I should, uh, you know, uh, scrape scrape the pistons, uh, scrape the metal off the inside of the pistons, unless I absolutely have to. What if there's like a week gap in the tour? Or no, two week gap, nothing. No, no, I wouldn't. I mean, two week, getting to three weeks, getting to four weeks, I'd be like, ooh, you know, I wouldn't mind a quick, uh, you know, limber up or something for two or three days. Gets any longer than that, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't mind, uh, you know, two three days rehearsal couple of days off so you just go and hammer hammer it for two or three days a couple of days off to let it recover then you should be off and running again um so but you know if we're talking like a long layoff like uh you know uh, 12 months or something else like that i found that it works just fine you know not uh you know you know close the hatches down you know right. put put the voice in put the singing voice in cold storage and you know what every now and again somebody says do you want to get up and and have a sing song and i do and i wake up the next morning and my voice sounds like a box of frogs you know because you know the muscles are tired and slack and and everything else but i mean i've been very fortunate touching wood here i've never had any nodes i've never had any uh long term uh well i've never had any Anything other than short-term vocal problems, as in, oh, you've got a bug and you've got to lay down for three or four days and it'll go away. So I've always been extraordinarily lucky that way. Is there anything in diet or any kind of health regimen, like especially diet, something you do on the road, any kind of like drink or any kind of thing that you take? It's uh, every singer that, well, every singer, I have what I call my... Um, I've got what I call my uh, uh, hypochondriac uh, kit uh, that I carry. You know, so I'm 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 taking every vitamin known to man. You know, yeah. um, but in truth, uh, loads of water. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody will tell you, every throat doctor and every singer as well, lots and lots of water. And if you're losing a bit of water on stage, um, you're probably going to need at least three liters of water uh, a day. Uh, to drink three liters of water a day in addition to what you drink on stage and I would say for a normal day if you two liters of water spaced out through the day um, I'm very fortunate I've got my own little water barometer because I've got a big patch of dry skin on my forehead if I don't drink enough water it goes all ugh, scaly and I'm like oh thank you very much I need to drink more water that's disgusting isn't it? it's too much information but you know I mean but I, I'm, I'm like I finally figured out what it was for all these years I was singing I was I was dehydrated for years and and never figured it out um aspirin helps if you're really stuck I mean if you really have to uh, uh think about self-medicating you know just plain old aspirin um will take a little bit of the inflammation down as long as you haven't got an infection it may you know it'll get you through that last night hopefully before you have a day off or something uh, but you can't rely on it all the time obviously you shouldn't use anything like that all the time yeah. um dairy products bad idea don't do them um i love cheese um i love milk but i can't eat them when i'm singing um extra mucus mucus is your enemy basically you know a little bit of mucus great you need it to protect the cords 
but excess mucus produced by food will just clog up the pipes and uh, in no time at all it will adhere to the vocal cord itself and when you get adhesions like that the vocal cords will not uh, vibrate evenly and when they don't vibrate evenly mm -hmm. you get this uh, noise you get like a double note right yeah, in the vocal yeah. cords right that's caused either by you know basically <clears throat> i've got something in my throat like a you know uh, which is a bit of mucus, which once it's stuck to a vocal cord can sometimes be really annoying, it, you know, and, and and it can cause tension and trying to get it unstuck by forcing it will actually damage the cords. So that's one thing. The other thing that causes it is uh, nodes or misshapen vocal cords, which in the case of Rod Stewart um, has uh, made him millions of dollars. But in the case of many people, uh, they're unwanted and it changes the 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 vibration characteristics of the, mm -hmm. of the vocal cords so they don't vibrate evenly when they're stretched or slackened to produce the different notes um so anyway yeah and uh dairy products are not uh, uh n n not great um and very acidic foods as well um orange juice all that kind of stuff right because that can uh have the effect almost of like this thing acid reflux Eating late at night, you get a bit of acid come up, but it comes up to your throat, and all of a sudden it's nibbling away at at your vocal cords or or at that environment, you know. Hmm. So those are things, you know. Um, eat little and often. Don't eat three hours before the show because you don't want big lumps of food in your belly when you're trying to sing. Uh, plenty of sleep. Ha ha, said he, having got in at you know whatever time I got in at this morning from Manchester and sitting here talking to you. Um, do as I do, not as I say. Do as I say, not as I do, or whatever it is. But you, you, but basically, loads of sleep, and um, if you loads of sleep, plenty of water. If you have a you know a drink or whatever, you know, then stick with something sensible. You know, beer or something like that. You know, is is cool. Big spirits, all the rest of it, not great for your voice, and uh, of course they dehydrate you as well. So you get a double whammy the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Just that's about it, really. Great, thank you. Uh, we have to wrap it up because okay. actually you're in the middle of your own show right here. <laughs> and uh, well, I hope, I hope it helps. Oh, yeah. it was great help. Thanks a lot, Bruce. Yeah. And um, here we are, magical world of rock with Danko Jones with Bruce Dickinson. Thank you. Cheers.